Hey there, I'm Carson Murray, a copywriter and marketer for small business owners and host of the Hype Gal podcast, a show dedicated to making marketing topics like copywriting, messaging, and email list building easy to understand and implement so you can grow your business. I believe business is a marathon, not a sprint, and my hope is that each episode leaves you feeling less confused and more confident in your marketing and gets you excited to keep showing up for what you do because the world needs what you have to offer. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome to part two of seven tips for writing great email copy. And if you haven't listened to it already last week or in the last episode, we went over part one. So we covered three of the seven tips for writing great email copy. And you had a little bit of time, hopefully, to put those tips in place. And now we're picking up and covering the last four. So make sure that um, even if you just dive right into this episode, that you go back so that you can get all seven because in uh, the last episode, we covered tips like subject line copywriting, which I know can be a very emotional <laughs> um, task and subject for people. So gave some really great tips on writing subject lines along with some resources for writing subject lines and testing them. And then we just went over how to write the goals that you can set for your email, writing to one person, writing in second person, etc. Okay, so hopefully you had a little bit of time to practice those. Um, if you haven't listened to it already, jump back and listen to that episode and then pick back up here or honestly do whatever you want to do. But getting all seven is the best way to go. Okay. All right. So picking up with tip number four, and that is to avoid using industry jargon. And okay, so you know the feeling when you're with a few friends and some of them have an inside joke that you weren't a part of. You just weren't there when the inside joke was created and they insist on playing it up uh, in the moment and you, you just like feel left out because you weren't there, you don't understand, they're laughing, you don't get it, but you're like, haha, yeah, that sounded like it was funny or a good time or honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, using jargon, aka words that others who aren't in your industry might not understand, makes your readers feel just like that. Not only does it isolate them, but it also runs the risk of confusing them or making you seem arrogant and neither of the two is good, okay? So the rule of thumb when writing copy is to write at a sixth grade level or less. The most brilliant people and writers in the world are those who can communicate a complex topic very simply, okay? So if you're like, all right, well, I want to be brilliant. I want to be a great writer. I want, I don't want to make my readers feel isolated or left out. And the thing is, is like, if you've done that in the past, if you're like, oh crap, I've definitely used jargon. It's not that you wanted to be arrogant, Sometimes people use jargon because they think it'll make them sound more intelligent to their audience. It'll make their audience be like, oh, I don't understand what that means, but they sound so smart when they say it. And okay, yeah, that might be true. But if you also run the risk of confusing your audience or leaving them in the dark because they don't understand it, you're kind of putting yourself on a pedestal, right? You're kind of saying, I'm above you because I understand what this means and I'm gonna continue saying this word even if you don't understand what it means and you just kind of figure it out um, or kind of seeming like you deserve respect or some type of, you know, you're in, you're in a different arena because you have an understanding of something that they don't. We don't wanna, no one wants to give that, um, you know, wants to portray that or give off those vibes. Um, so if you've done that in the past, totally, you're not, you're not bad. You're not a bad person for doing that, but 
just to give you some insight on how it could leave your audience feeling. So yeah, write at a sixth grade level and um, communicate complex topics very simply, even if it means exchanging some jargon for more commonplace terms, right? So some ways to do this, if you're like, yeah, I want to do that, is to use a writing tool like the Hemingway app, okay? And it's linked in the show notes. So it's just something that you can download and run your copy through before you hit send to see if there are any opportunities to simplify your language. So it'll even tell you at what grade level your writing is. So that's kind of cool, right? So if you've written something that you want to send to your um, list and you're writing at like a 12th grade level, but you know best practice, like uh, the majority people read at a sixth grade level or less and that doesn't mean that they're unintelligent that just means that that's the easiest level to understand and break down information uh, because our brains our brains get exhausted right like our brains and our minds are also a muscle and the more we have to try to sit and figure out and break down complex information so that we can very easily and quickly understand it our brains get tired so writing at a sixth grade level um alleviates that and allows us just to process information really quickly, consume it really quickly. And um, one of my favorite things that I was told by a mentor um, is that people don't buy or take action on the best product or service in the marketplace. They take action on the thing that they understand the fastest, okay? So we just wanna give people an opportunity to understand things really quickly and easily. So use the Hemingway app, run your copy through it, see if you can simplify any sentences or uh, maybe exchange any jargon or complicated language for something a little simpler. All right, tip five is keep it short. So I know I've said this before, but people don't read every word that you write. They scan them. And that being said, the fewer words you use to communicate your point in an email, the better. All right. So email best practice as of late is to keep your emails to 50 to 250 words at the most. Well, to be honest, 50 to me sounds so little. Like I just feel 50 words. I'm like, what? That doesn't feel very substantial. And then 250 words, I feel like is good. I, I feel like most of my emails are probably 250 words. If I go back and, um, you know, copy them, paste them and check the word count. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't. Um, but I also have been doing this for a while and I know that I don't write, <laughs> um, very long emails. Um, I keep my emails shorter. So if you are kind of um, nervous about that and you're like, oh, I feel like I do write long emails. Maybe that's why my readers aren't taking action. Um, then, you know, just before you send an email, look at the word count of your email. And before you send it, reread it. If it's over 250 words, reread it and ask yourself if every single word you currently have is essential to getting your reader to accomplish the goal you've set for that email. So in the in part one of these seven tips, I went over setting a goal for your email before you start writing it. So you know, just reread and be like, is every single word that I have here essential to getting my reader to accomplish that goal? Is every single word here, you know, adding to that? Or is it taking away from it? Or is it just fluff? And if not, if it's not helping that goal, then delete it. Okay. So be sure to um, also look at your sentences and paragraphs and be and make sure those are short and concise as well. So I know we're talking about word count here, um, but you can have, you can write a 250 word email and have really robust and just large paragraphs and run on sentences. Um, and your paragraphs in your email best, you know, best practice, my recommendation is that they contain no more than two to three sentences with plenty of space in between each one to make your emails easy and inviting to read. I don't know if you've ever opened up 
an email, okay? And it's just, it looks like one big block of text and your brain is immediately like, nah, I can't, I don't have time to sit here and read this. It's not inviting to read. It doesn't look easy to read. It looks like it's just a huge block of text. Um, or maybe it's a couple paragraphs so the paragraphs look really big. Um, say you wrote 250 words, but you broke those 250 words up into two big paragraphs. That's still gonna be really overwhelming for people to read. Uh, but then if you took that same 250 word email and you broke it up into tinier paragraphs, just two to three sentences at most, and there's lots of white space and it invites your reader in and they're like, oh yeah, this will be a, a piece of cake to read. Um, it's truly, there's truly a difference. So just look at it next time you write and make sure that your sentence, your paragraphs contain maybe you know, no more than two to three sentences um, and you know try to keep your emails around 250 words. I'm gonna be honest with you, some of my emails might be like 400 words, okay? Um, if I truly believe I need 400 words to convey my message and to help me accomplish the goal and serve my audience well, then I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna punish myself and be like, we have to get this down to 250 words. <laughs> um, but just the main point is to try to keep it as short and concise as possible while accomplishing your goal and serving your audience and just making sure that every word in that email is helping and not hurting. It isn't fluffy. It, you know, if it, if it could be gone, then, you know, let it go, delete it, um, et cetera. All right. Tip number six is to have one clear call to action when relevant. Because having one clear CTA or call to action, I'm going to refer to it as CTA, um, in your email makes it easier for your reader, you guessed it, to take action and accomplish the goal you set for that email. For example, if your goal for an email is to get your community to book clarity calls, your call to action button or the link that you use is likely going to say book your call. All right, um, adding in another CTA, adding in more CTA buttons or links to that email might distract your reader from booking their call and take away from your goal because you're distracting them with something else to click on. However, there's always, there's always a however, there's always a but, okay? There's always an instance where things could change. Um, there, there is an instance where having more than one CTA button is appropriate in an email, okay? So let's take your weekly newsletter, for example. Maybe you round up all of your best content each week from different marketing platforms like your podcast, your blog post, um, your Instagram, and you link them in an email. Each piece of content will have its own call to action button because each piece of the content is inviting them to go visit that content, to go listen to that podcast, to go check out the um, blog post, to go look at your you know latest reel on Instagram. It's gonna invite them off to leave your email and go check that out on that marketing platform. But if your goal was to get them to leave the email and check out your best performing content, no matter where it was, right? Then having more than one call to action button helps accomplish that goal. And also what you can do, so say you know your weekly newsletter is a content roundup and you share different types of content. So, you know, our brands are multifaceted. So just because you might be a web designer doesn't mean that you only have one service, right? You could have like a custom design um, offer for your clients. Maybe you also coach designers on how to start their own um, design business, whatever it is. Our brands are likely and often multifaceted. If you only have one offer, props to you. That That's just really so cool. I, I sometimes envy that. <laughs> um, but so, you know, if you are packing a newsletter with different forms of content, 
for different audiences. You know, maybe your podcast episode was more on the coaching side and maybe your blog post was more for your one-on-one custom design services and you're analyzing that email and seeing what people are clicking on. Then you can see what kind of content is performing best, which is really cool. So yes, having one clear call to action button does really well when it's relevant for that email and when it's supporting the goal for that email. But there, you know, there are different times in different instances where having more than one call to action button or opportunity for your reader to click on more than one thing in your email is beneficial. Okay. You just have to think back to what the goal is for that email. And again, we covered that in part one of this, um, seven tips for writing great email copy. So you can go back and listen. Okay. Last but not least is we have, don't forget the PS. All right, so last but not least is the blessed PS section of the email. And just in case you weren't aware, 90% of people will open your email and skip down to the PS section, see if there was anything worth noting, and then continue to go back up to the top and read or scan through the rest of your email. And I don't want that to discourage you, okay? I don't want you to think, oh gosh, I'm writing these emails and people are just opening them up and then scrolling to the bottom, seeing if there was anything good or you know noteworthy and then they decide if they'll read the email. Sometimes, yeah, but a really good PS section will keep them in that email because it's kind of just summarizing instead of you know providing all the context to what you talked about, all right? Um, so, um, you know, long story long with that is you don't want to skip this important section. So if you've been writing emails without the PS section, it's okay. But from now on, I encourage you to add just a little PS to the bottom of your email right below, you know, your sign off um, and use the PS section to re- recap the main subject of your email or to reiterate the goal of that email in two sentences or less, making sure to add in any important call to action buttons or links, okay? So this is where it's, you know, I would say more so important that you maybe just pop one call to action button um, in the PS section because we don't wanna bombard the PS section with a bunch of call to actions because we're just summarizing what the email was about. We're not giving a lot of context. So what you wanna do is you wanna think about, okay, what was the goal of this email? Um, and what was, you know, the main point of this email? What, what do I want them to walk away with? Or what do I want them to stay here and continue reading? And then just summarize the email. A lot of times I'll say, uh, you know, fancy meeting you here. Or, you know, do you skip to the bottom of emails too? Same. Here's what you missed. Um, I'll, I'll just be like, basically, I covered this. Um, I covered this subject. If you want the tips, scroll back up to the middle of the email. The tips will be there in, in bullet points. Um, And then I'll plug any important call to action button that I wanted them to click on in the PS section too. So it's a little bit just, you know, being strategic because we don't want to write a paragraph as the PS section uh, because if people see that, they might be like, oh gosh, like there's a paragraph in the PS section also, no thanks. (laughs) Um, So we just want to convey the main point, the goal, what we wanted our reader to walk away with, or if we want them to stay and read the email, we want to just be like, hey, I went over this this is what you missed. Um, It's in the email, just like scroll up twice and you'll be there, okay? So it's even telling them, oh, okay, like this is where I can find those juicy tips that I just missed. And then a call to action button, but two sentences, try to make it two sentences at the most if you can. Um, And the PS section is, you know, it's also a great opportunity besides like summarizing your email and adding a call to action button or link in there. 
It's a great opportunity to ask your reader a thought-provoking question so they respond to your emails, boosting your deliverability rate. So um, in case you know you also weren't um, aware of this also like as well, when people respond to our emails, it increases our sender reputation. I know we talked about sender reputation um, in the last uh, podcast, which was part one. We talked about why sender, we touched a little bit on why sender reputation is important as it relates to spam, like spammy words. Um, but when people reply to our email, our emails, it increases that sender reputation, um, allowing our inbox or our emails to have higher priority in an inbox. Uh, because what it's doing is it's showing their inbox service provider. So an inbox service provider again is um, like your Gmail or your Yahoo um, account that you use. So we haven't we all have inbox service providers, likely it's how we receive our mail. And their job is to keep any spammy, malicious content, aka emails from reaching our inbox, okay? So when we send someone an email, our ISP um, or their ISP looks over that email, scans that email through their technology and says, are there any spammy words? Does, does this, is this person a reputable sender? Do they have a good send reputation? Which means have people mark them as spam because they didn't actually have permission to be in inboxes. So if someone is getting a hold of people's email addresses and showing up in their inbox without permission and a bunch of people that have Gmail um, are marking their emails as spam, that affects that person's sender reputation and Gmail can see that by running that email that email um, sending domain, aka the email that you're using to send emails, um, through their technology and they're like, nope, this doesn't look like a good reputable sender. They, you know, a lot of people have marked them as spam. Their emails often bounce. Um, or they're using a lot of spammy keywords that we don't like. So we are going to either kick this email back and it's never going to get delivered, or it's going to land in a spam filter, in their spam filter, okay? So when people when people reply to our emails, it shows their ISP that we are a reputable sender because people don't likely reply to spam emails. Um, and also bots can't reply back. So if you know a spam, Emails coming from a bot, um, and there's there's no um, really they can't have a back and forth conversation. So it just shows their inbox service provider that we are a reputable sender, someone that you want to have an actual exchange of conversation with. It makes us look more human, um, and it increases our it just gives us a better sender score. Okay, just like a credit score, <laughs> or uh, you know if you want to boost your reputation anywhere, it just boosts our reputation. So the PS section is a great opportunity. If you, if this isn't a sales email, even if it is a sales email, you can ask people to reply if they have any questions. Um, that's also a great way to just, you know, nurture your potential lead better, uh, but also boost your sender reputation. So, um, but let's say you're just like sending an email to your list and you don't really, you know, maybe it's a nurture email and you've rounded up a bunch of content, but you're like, it'd be really cool if they responded to me too, or let me know like what kind of content they want to see from me, just like we do on Instagram sometimes when we take polls. So in the PS, you're just like, hey, if you really like this email, um, let me know what your favorite part was, or if you're struggling with X, Y, and Z, let me know how I can help you. Or if you'd like to see any other type of content from me, reply and let me know. And I usually put in this section, I usually say, um, there's a very real person like there's a very real gal behind this computer um who would love to reply to you uh and sometimes I even say like there's a really there's a very real gal and um like a dog like at her feet and we would love to reply to you um 
and I'll say, you know, it's mostly me, not my dog that replies. I'll just say something funny to make it seem like a little bit more human, a little bit more relationship building, and that I really do want to help and that I really will reply if they send me an email. But the thing is, is like, you actually have to show up and respond to those emails. You can't, you know, stay true to your word and Um, because we want those people to continue replying to us we want and it just that also just builds such a stronger reputation with your brand that like you can reply and someone will reply back um, and you're not just like receiving these automated emails but there's someone behind the screen and I get that this isn't possible for everyone some people have like you know They don't have the ability to respond depending on, you know, what the goal of their email sales campaign is, like product-based businesses. Maybe they actually have like a support email that you can respond to. Um, But you can always link that support email um, in, you know, that email and say, hey, reply to this and let me know. So there's different ways to do that. But it's always it's always a good idea and it, it very much so helps you boost your sender reputation. Okay, so those are the last four tips. That is part two. And this is kind of the bonus. I have a bonus tip for you if if you don't mind. Um, because while I could give you all the best copywriting tips, secrets, the hacks, everything I've learned um, over the last, you know, three years when it comes to writing emails or writing copy, the best thing you can do is put these seven tips to good use and practice them, okay? I I don't know about anyone else. I mean, I'll be honest. I've always had a natural gift for writing, okay? Writings come naturally to me. It's it's just one of the things that I'm good at. Like, I'm not great at math. I'm not great at science. I'm great at, I was always great at language arts and writing and history and anything like that. Um, But copy is its, its, its own arena, okay? You have to practice being a good copywriter. Even great writers don't make great copywriters, okay? So it's kind of, I want to say, I don't want to say it's an equal playing field because we all have our own experiences in the world. We all have our own journeys. So I don't want to say clean slate, equal playing field because we all have our own things. I don't want to diminish that. But everyone has the opportunity to practice copywriting um, skills and get better at it. You can always get better at it. I don't think copy is one of those things where you just arrive and you're like, okay, I woke up today and you know, I'm a great copywriter now. It's always something that you're practicing. Even the best writers are always revising and rewriting and asking themselves, how can I make this more clear? Um, how can I make this more intriguing? How can I, you know, make my audience want to dive into this or open this email or how can I communicate this more simply? I think that might be one of the greatest things that you can ask yourself when writing copy, to be honest with you, if there's just like one takeaway I could give you is ask yourself, how can I make this easier for my audience to understand? Am I communicating this topic, this subject matter simply enough? Um, I think that's gold. Truly, I do. Because again, um, we want people to be under to understand things very simply. And a lot of times we're we're communicating things that come very naturally to us and they might not come natural to our reader because maybe they have just become aware that they have um, this problem or that they would like support as it relates to this problem. And um, it's really important to do a good job making sure that we're communicating things very simply. Remember, the most brilliant and best writers communicate complex topics very simply. And just, you know, the last thing is every great writer and email marketer 
sent a few crappy emails before they got good at it. All right. Just let yourself accept that. <laughs> I, if I went back and looked at some of the emails I send, I would probably just cringe. Like I probably would like cover my face and peek through my fingers and be like, Oh, this is hard to read. So every great writer and email marketer sent a few crappy emails. Um, so give yourself grace and permission to possibly be bad at this until you get really good at it. Okay. And guess what? You will get really good at it as long as you practice. All right. So that's a wrap on part two of seven tips for writing great email copy. Remember, go back and listen to part one. So you have all seven tips and you can practice them until next time. Cheers and chat soon. Thanks for listening to the Hype Gal podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you never miss a marketing tip that will help you grow your small business. And if you have time, please leave a review. You can come hang out with me after each episode over on the gram at hypegal.co or join my email list community found in the show notes for more valuable exclusive content. If you have a question or topic you want me to cover, send me an email over at carson at hypegal.co. Cheers and chat next week.